Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11. My name's Dan, one of the pastors. Privileged to serve you and to share God's Word. If you're here in person in the worship center or you're joining us online, it's good to be together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I'm going to share this with you. I told you I would last week. Um, because you gave uh, $4,941 uh, was sent for Bibles. That's uh, 1,208 Bibles that we sent to Mozambique. So thank you for being a generous church and giving people so that people in Mozambique have God's Word in their language in their hands. And so I'm so grateful for that. Because you gave. Yeah. And here's another reminder of, of what we value. Gospel. Growth. <laughs> we value the, the gospel. We value growth. Spiritual growth. Um, groups serving together. Gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts that God has given that we use um, to edify the body. Um, generosity is, is one of those, those gifts. And, and grace. And today we're we're turning our attention to uh, the, the idea of grace and the grace of communion. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, notice verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night He was betrayed, He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, um, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning regarding ourselves, we would not come under such judgment Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. It is, I think, hard for us to realize how powerful His words and actions were when Jesus took some unleavened bread and used it for the Jewish Passover meal, and then after the meal, distributed it to his disciples, he gave thanks. He said, this is my 
body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was essentially replacing the Jewish, Jewish Passover. The Passover celebrated, uh, uh, um, it was the celebration that was the, the celebration of the Jewish people. They called the Jewish people to remember God's mighty power in freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And, and here it's being replaced with a celebration of Jesus who by his death and resurrection would set those who were captive to sin free indeed. Now look at the text. Paul, Paul's not making this stuff up. <laughs> he received it from the Lord. However Paul received it, it, it was from the Lord. Paul looks back and and. and and he knows that Jesus was betrayed by his own. He was crucified by the Romans. And just before that, Jesus conducts a communion service. And the purpose was to help his disciples remember the meaning of his death, which was about to come. The Last Supper as we know it. Jesus, together with his disciples, according to biblical commands and Jewish traditions, celebrated the remembrance of, of this deliverance from, from Egypt, um, the, the, the journey through the desert to the promised land. You can read about that in the, in the book of Exodus. And the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine were important parts of the Passover celebration. And Jesus now takes these important pictures, these elements that are in front of them, and, and he uses it to, um, to, to, to connect the meaning of, of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And not only for those disciples, but for us as well. Well, while the Lord's Supper does look back to what Jesus did on the cross, it also looks forward to the coming of Jesus, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read about that in Revelation 19. In Matthew 26, Jesus speaks of his longing expectation when he would take communion with his people in heaven, which is the ultimate Lord's Supper. And, and so, as a church, uh, the, the, the disciples of the followers of Christ have been commanded to, 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 to share in this, this way the, the communion, the, the bread and the, and the cup, to remember what Christ did. Now, the Roman Catholic Church holds the idea of transubstantiation, teaching that the bread and the wine become the, the body, actually become the, the body and the blood of Christ. Martin Luther held the idea not of transubstantiation, but of consubstantiation, teaching that the bed, the bread remains and, and, the, and, and the bread remains bread and the wine remains wine, but by faith they are the same as Jesus' actual body. Luther didn't go, he, he didn't believe what the Roman Catholics did, but um, he didn't go far from it. John Calvin taught that Jesus' presence in the bread and the wine was real, but it was spiritual, it wasn't physical. Zwingli taught that the bread and the wine were mere symbols that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And there was quite a debate over that. Uh, when the Reformers were debating that issue, Luther was there. He was, there was a, a lot of contention. Luther insisted on some kind of physical presence because Jesus said, this is my body. Zwingli said, Jesus said, I'm, I'm the vine and I'm the door. <laughs> and we, all, we understand what he, he, he meant, right? So the argument went, went on. Scripturally, we can understand this, though, that the bread and the wine are not are not merely symbols, they're powerful pictures to partake in and enter into as we see the Lord's Supper as the new Passover. I'm going to give you three things this morning to observe from this passage. And we're talking about the grace of communion. 
First of all, in this passage of Scripture, I want you to see the, the, expression, the expression of worship. Now, this is for Christians. <laughs> for, for Christians, there is an element of, of worship here. Do you see, do you see in those verses the, the, the idea of worship? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. When you understand that this is for you, there is an expression of worship. One of the graces of communion is that it is a chance for us to worship. And so for Christians, it's an expression of worship. Remembering what Christ has done and celebrating that as worship. The great hymn, How Great Thou Art, says it this way, And when I think that God, um, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to wake, take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. The, the grace of communion, there is an expression of worship. In fact, I don't know how you can even truly participate in the Lord's Supper unless you're a Christian as a believer. Sure, you can eat a little piece of unleavened bread and you can drink the small cup of grape juice that, that will be distributed in a few moments, but to worship and experience the living God through the Lord's Supper, that's impossible apart from personally knowing the Jesus that you're celebrating. And so when we remember Jesus, we celebrate, we worship. Communion is an expression of worship. Celebration that we are free from sin. Exuberance, because we are alive in Christ. Gratitude for grace. <laughs> Salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God saves us by His grace. We receive His grace when we put our faith in Christ as the only one who died for our sins and rose from the dead on our behalf. There's no other way to heaven except for Christ. And, and we, we celebrate the fact that, that it is for us. <laughs> this is my body, which is for you. It is for you. And you celebrate that. You can't work for salvation. You can't earn it. You receive it as a gift. God gets the credit. We receive the gift of eternal life. You see, the Christian faith, simply stated, reminds us that our problem is not just moral. The fundamental problem we have is not just a moral problem. Our fundamental problem is a spiritual problem. The problem is not just that we are immoral. The problem is that the, the, the mor a moral life alone cannot put you back. It can't separate, it can't bridge that gap that separates us from God. Ephesians says this, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship from among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And for a Christian, the grace of communion is that it is for us and that we have been included in the family. Herein lies the cardinal difference between moralizing religions and Jesus is offered to us. Jesus doesn't make an offer to us to make a bunch of bad people good. He makes an offer to us that makes a bunch of dead people alive. That is the key. 
And for that reason, when we come to communion, it, it is, it is a, an expression of worship. But I want you to see this. It's not just an expression of worship, but by its nature, it is evangelistic. In the Lord's Supper, the work of Christ is held up as an invitation for people to trust in the Lord. So it is also an evangelistic opportunity for the pre-Christian. It is an expression of worship for the Christian. It is an opportunity, evangelistic opportunity for pre-Christians. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. There is this point of the new covenant that is being offered for those who would believe. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's a couple of ways that this is an evangelistic opportunity. We, it's, it, the word proclaim there is the same word that is translated preach in other places in Scripture. When we take communion, we preach a sermon to God. We, 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 we preach a sermon to the devil. We preach a sermon to the world, the world that watches. But I want you also to see it in another way. The Lord's Supper holds up the work of Christ. In other words, what He has done for us and invites people to trust in Him to be saved. God is not only calling us as believers to, to, to keep Jesus in the gospel central, but God is calling you also to come to the banquet table. I want to say to someone this morning who may be a pre-Christian that God's grace in communion is extended to you in the new covenant. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant Sins were atoned for through the blood of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an animal, a pure animal, that was sacrificed for sin. A blameless, spotless sacrifice for sin. In the New Testament, that, that lamb that was sacrificed is, is the lamb of God. Christ died in our, in our place. He died for our sin. That if we would believe in Him, that that made atonement for our sins. We believe in Him and we believe in the atonement, that the atonement that Christ accomplished on the cross that we would be saved. Um, Romans, Paul explains it like this in Romans chapter 3. This righteousness, so how do, you, how do you come to the Lord? How do you accept God's invitation to believe in His Son Jesus Christ? You believe in Jesus and God changes your status from broken and unrighteous and, righteous and, and dead in sin to alive in Christ and righteous and made complete in Him. So watch this, Romans 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Do you believe in Him? You have, have you received Him? And here's, here is God's promise to all who do. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. There is this covenant in communion. It is, it is an expression of worship for a believer, but it is also an evangelistic opportunity for, a, for someone who may not have yet received Christ to hear of the new covenant and the gospel and say, Listen, I believe. I believe. You can receive Jesus by believing in Him today. And if you do that, then there's a place at His table. I want, you to, I want to give you a, a, one more observation. Not only 
is, is it worship? Not only is it an evangelistic opportunity, but notice this. It is an encouragement to restore priorities. It's an expression of worship for the Christian. It's an evangelistic opportunity for a pre-Christian. And it is an encouragement for us to restore priorities. Paul warns the Corinthians to treat the Lord's Supper with reverence, to practice it in the spirit of self-examination. But I want you to see this. And I think this is key for our understanding, even understanding the heart of God in all of this. Not to exclude, but to include. Now watch this. It's not written with the thought of excluding ourselves from the table, but rather this is written as a way of preparing us to receive with the right heart. The word unworthily has made some Christians believe they have to make themselves worthy to receive communion. Yeah, about that. You can't. Or if they've sinned, somehow they were unworthy to come and remember what Christ did on the cross for them. Look, this is a serious, I think, misunderstanding. Because if anyone needs to remember the work of Jesus on the cross, it is the one who sinned. When we are repentant, our sins should drive us to our Savior, not away from Him. What he's talking about is a Christian who is in sin and stubbornly unrepentant and is mocking what Jesus did on the cross to cleanse them from their sin. We can never really make ourselves worthy of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He did it because of his love for us that was so great. It's grace, not because we were worthy. When when we take the bread and the cup, there's no need to stare at the floor or struggle to achieve some sort of spiritual feeling, simply open your heart to Jesus and recognize His presence. Not in a morbid display of self-checking to see if we are worthy of what Jesus did for us, but in an honest appraisal to see if we receive communion that we're conducting ourselves in a way that honors the Lord. The idea is not to keep people away from the table of communion, but to prepare them to receive it. Irreverent conduct invites God's corrective discipline. So we have opportunity to to examine ourselves. And then the Lord will not need to, to judge us with His hand of correction. The Lord's Supper also continually calls us to return to the center of our faith, the person of Jesus, His, his work of salvation in us, to refocus on kingdom priorities, to seek first the kingdom of God, to live lives in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to keep that at the center of our faith. We deepen our relationship with God by reminding ourselves of His constant presence and activity in our lives. And through communion we experience that. It's an expression of worship. It's an evangelistic opportunity. It's, it's a time when we come together and we're encouraged to restore priorities. David was talking 
to the Lord in Psalm 51. He was reaffirming his faith in God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That sounds far from a God who's trying to keep someone from communion. One way to be obedient to God's word is to share the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask those who are serving us this morning to prepare for that. In a moment, we're, we're going to pass a tray to you that has two cups, one on top of the other. The, the cup with the grape juice is on top. The cup with the unleavened bread is underneath it. Take both of those cups. Just hold them. When that comes down your aisle, just hold them. And then we'll, we'll eat together and we'll drink together. After the meal, Jesus took those common elements of bread and cup, offered it to his disciples, told them to remember the new covenant that he was establishing by the sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross. The grace of communion. Some call communion a celebration, and rightly so, because we're coming together to share an experience together. This shared experience also has a storyline. You see, what Jesus did in offering his communion is, is put into a word picture for us. The truth is we're a part of God's family. And when we follow Christ, we place our faith in Jesus Christ to save us And it's represented by his body and his blood. And we're joined to him in unity and fellowship and in covenant. So a couple examples um, to help us better understand this. As, as you're being served this morning, help serve those around you. But I also want you to listen. So serve those around you, but I want you to to listen. A couple examples to help us better understand the, the unity of communion. One is the picture of the high priest. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, thank you, the temple in, in the New Testament, the high priest came bearing the blood of a sacrificial lamb once a year, offering a sacrifice for sin. The people were separated from God. And only at one because of, of sin. And, and one time a year, there was a sacrifice for sin that was made. And the high priest would, would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the high priest had to be washed and cleansed in order to enter the Holy of Holies. If he didn't come in there in the right heart and attitude and, and, and ceremonially cleansed, he could die. But I want you to see this, and this came from one of Jesus' disciples. It was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come, and the evening meal had been served, was being served. And then, remember, Jesus, he washed the feet of his disciples. He came to Simon Peter. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, um, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later on you'll understand. 
And Peter was stubborn. He said, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And the Lord said to Simon Peter, not, I, I am going to wash your feet. And finally, Peter said, well, not just my feet, then my whole body. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You're clean. Now watch this. Because I believe this is where you become a part of that story. The Old Testament, the high priest, had access to God. And the high priest of the New Testament temple had access to God. But what, God, what Jesus was showing Peter was that he was clean. He was serving him by washing his dirty feet from having walked in with some of Jerusalem on his feet, the dirt of the day. But his heart was clean. And basically what he's saying to him, you're clean because you believe in me, and so you have access into the, the, the high priestly throne room of God. You have access. And when Christ died on the cross, he gave his body and blood as a sacrifice for sin, as the veil separating all of that was torn from the top to the bottom. The point is this, anyone who is washed by Jesus is clean. Let that wash over you for a moment. Anyone who believes in Jesus is washed by Jesus is clean. Your sins have been forgiven and you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and you have access to God, a high priest. You come into God's presence with the distinguishing mark of bearing the blood of Christ, which cleanses you and saves you. And, you, and is, having this place open to you, you are welcomed into the priesthood of communion. Jesus presented a picture of that for his disciples when he washed their feet. They were clean and they were able to share in communion with Christ. And that's true today. If you've repented of your sin and believed in Christ to save you and been washed by the blood of the Lamb, you are welcome to join in this communion. You're, you, you are, it's not about a church that you're a member of. It's, have you been washed by Christ? Have you been joined together with Christ and with other Christians? We share this communion together. That's one per, word picture of a high priest. I want you to see another word picture. Luke tells the story this way. Uh, he said, I, I eagerly desire to eat this, pass, this Passover with you. And he said, I tell you again, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I will not drink of it again, or the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, he gave thanks. Here's the second example. Not just of the priesthood, but now it's a picture of marriage see, in Jewish weddings, a bride and a groom, at some point, and usually at the end of that marriage wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom alone would drink from one cup. They would drink from one cup. And then that cup would be put on the ground and it would be crushed to signify this, that no other persons will ever drink in unity from that same cup 
because those two, that husband, that wife, that man, that woman, have been joined together in unity. It's a covenant relationship between a bride and a groom. It's affirmed oftentimes with a stomping of the cup and a, and a hearty mazel tov, <laughs> which literally means congratulations. I want you to see this. In communion, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. The body of Christ, Christians, make up the bride of Christ. Now watch this. The cup between Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride, is a picture of unity and communion. Christ offers the cup to the church and we're joined together in covenant relationship. You belong to Christ in a covenant relationship. It's real communion. To be joined to God in Christ. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. That's the symbolism of the cup of covenant in His blood offered to you. God invites you into fellowship with Him, commune with Him, unity with Him, relationship with Him. The single most important relationship of your existence is with Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says. Take this, divide it among you, I'll tell you, not drink it again till the fruit of the vine, uh, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, this new covenant, <laughs> the marriage glass was crushed on the cross when Christ died for our sins. And someday in heaven, we will again be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the reception of the groom and the bride and the church will continue long into eternity. That should make every Christian heart here today blessed. Christ makes a covenant with you. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Grace has been applied to your account. You're saved from sin. You're saved for eternity in heaven. So we remember together. We experience together. We're joined together, and I want us to eat and to drink together and remember and experience the joy of being joined in relationship with God. If you walked in here pre-Christian, you have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin, that is death. If we get what we deserve, we'll pay for it. The penalty is an eternal death, separated from God. Heaven's a real place, people really go there, but hell is a real place, people really go there too. But even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he gave his son as a ransom for many. And if he so loved us, he gave his son. And if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. Do you realize that apart from God, you're spiritually dead? And this morning, if you want spiritual life, it's as simple as looking at yourself and saying, there's no way I could measure up. I think anyone who's honest would have that assessment. There's stuff wrong with me. 
Not only do I not do things right, I'm not right. There's wickedness in my heart. There's, I'd rather serve myself than anyone else. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. We lie on instinct because it's part of the sin that we inherited. We cheat. We're angry. We have enmity toward God. Self will, a, a careful self-evaluation will tell you that. If that's true in your life this morning, you say, listen, I, I, will, I will acknowledge that. I will confess my sin. I'll admit that. And I can, I, I'd be willing to confess that sin. Say, God, if you'll forgive me of that, I will accept your forgiveness. Do you believe that God sent his son, Jesus, into the earth to die for your sin and pay the price for your sin? You say, listen, hard to believe in one sense, and yet a child can believe it. I believe that. And I accept it. So, Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I understand forgiveness comes through Christ. You loved me. You sent him. He died in my place. I need that pardon. I'll take it. I'll accept it by faith. I realize it's a gift. I can't do anything about it. And this morning, if you would be so bold as to confess him as Lord and say, listen, I have decided to follow Jesus. First, you say that to yourself, and then you say that to Jesus. With our mouth, we confess Jesus is Lord. You confess that to someone else. Your next step of obedience is going to be baptism. You confess it to the church and to the world. If you'd be willing to say to yourself and to your Savior, I believe in you. Then Jesus said, with your mouth, you confess and you believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to save you from your sin. You shall be saved. Friend, if that's you today, the grace of communion is yours. Maybe this morning you've taken a chance to look at your heart and your life. Say, Lord, there's sin in my life. I'm not running from you. I'm running to you. It's not open and rebellious. It's wicked. But my eyes are on you. Help me. The grace of communion is for you. Jesus took bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross, for coming in earthly form, taking on the very appearance of a man, living in a human temple like, like we are. Your body was broken for us. You hung on the cross. You died for people to take away their sin. 
today we celebrate that. We're grateful. We remember what you've done. Let's eat together and remember. Jesus took the cup. It's the new covenant. Not the blood of a lamb or a goat, but the Lamb of God. It's hard to miss the poignancy. And Jesus said, my blood will pay the price and atone for your sin. So Lord, you bled and died to take away my sin. I'm here today to give you praise for your life. You rose from the dead. There's life and power in the blood. That same Spirit that raised you, O oh God, raised, you, raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. We too have spiritual life and peace and hope and relationship. So we trust in you and you alone. We give you praise. Thank you for, for, the, for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. <clears throat> Maybe one more thing. If you want to and are able. I think we've done this before. Maybe one more small thing as a part of this ceremony. You're holding a plastic cup. And if you're able and want to, and you might want to choose the one that had the bread in it, I invite you to crush that cup with your fingers, symbolizing the oneness that has been established between you and Christ. <laughs> wow. The Lord bless you. May his favor be on you for a thousand generations. Your family. And your children and their children and their children. May His presence go before you and behind you, beside you, all around you and within you. He's with you. He's with you. In the morning and in the evening, and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and you're rejoicing. He's for you. For you. Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Give you his peace. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.